Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that's here to celebrate Trans Day of Visibility. Today we have Kellen, Laura, Zoe, and Hope. And this week's episode marks International Transgender Day of Visibility, which is celebrated each year on March 31st. So a bit of history, because it is me talking. Uh, Here it is. The (laughs) first Trans Day of Visibility was held in 2009 as part of an effort by trans activist Rachel Crandall to, you guessed it, raise the visibility of trans people everywhere. It's a day of celebration, but it's also a day of remembrance. Um, Obviously, Trans people are of higher at higher risk of violence and cisgender people. And this day is also for remembering those who we've lost. Um, but it, like I said, it's also a day of celebration. And we are celebrating the fact that today we have two awesome guests um, to share their experiences and their thoughts. So Vidya and Karta, thank you so much for joining us. Yay. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, y'all introduce yourselves for our listeners. Also, do you know each other? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, fun. Okay. I didn't know that. I realized I didn't ask that. And I was like, oh, that makes it fun. Okay, cool. Go ahead. <laughs> They're not together because of social isolation. Right. An important point for our listeners to know we are all being very safe right now. Yeah, incredible. Setting the tone for all- us all. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Carter Monier. I am a trans woman living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I am a cartoonist and micropress publisher. Mm. Uh, I'm Vidya. Uh, I'm a trans woman working in Ypsilanti. Carta and I do a bunch of kind of community care and activism together. Um, professionally, I do like learning and reflection and education for a team of activists. Uh, and I'm also co-chair of the Huron Valley DSA. Awesome. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We're really excited to talk to you. So I wanted to start out by asking y'all, is Trans Day of Visibility important to you? And if so, why? Um, Like, what is its significance for you two? It is important to me, um, but maybe not for, I guess, the traditional reasons that are lifted up. Um, I think for a lot of trans people, uh, it is like, notable and noteworthy that there is a day that we are being paid attention to and that people are talking about our causes and and our struggles. Um, It's uh, kind of unfortunate that because I feel like because Trans Day Visibility and Trans Day Remembrance exist or um, because there's these kind of seasonal times to pay attention to trans people, it's a little harder to lift up trans issues on any other day of the year. Mm. Um, So in that respect, Trans Day of Visibility is sometimes a little frustrating, um, but it is it is a useful moment to talk about trans issues, and it does make a lot of trans people feel better that there is a day that is about us. Yeah, I agree with Vidya. Like, on a personal level, I can't say that I, I like, catch myself thinking, like, oh, good, it's only one week until <laughs> Trans Day of Visibility. But it is important, I think, especially for younger trans people or people who uh, have not yet been able to come out, um, who are desperate for any sort of like acknowledgement that it's even a possibility. Um, 
And so in that sense, I, I do think it's it's useful. I know that every year Trans Day of Visibility comes around and every trans person makes the same joke, which is like, I wish I was invisible all the time. Mm. Um, <laughs> so like visibility on its own, and I mean, smarter people than me have talked about this, but visibility on its own is not necessarily like the end point of what we're doing activism for, you know, like none of us are fighting for visibility. Um, but it is, I think, an important thing to just, you know, set aside some time to acknowledge that like, this is a real thing. This is something that impacts people's lives. And this is something that can be real, even if it seems impossible in a person's life at the, at the moment. Yeah. And kind of along that line, um, I wanted to speak beyond visibility. Um, I'm cis and queer and of, and it's like, of course, so incredible when I'm watching content or um, seeing queer people represented in uh, media or in different ways. Um, but what do you hope for beyond like beyond what these two um, I, I almost called them holidays. I don't really know what we would call them. Um, but these days, I guess, um, wh- where would you like to see things move past or where would, or how would you like to use these days maybe to amplify other things? Um, I think to me, it's important that like people recognize that we struggle with a lot of the same classes that, you know, or a lot of the same struggles that the rest of the working class does. Mm. Um, but it's worse when you're trans and you're like allowed to be discriminated against. Um, and also you suffer the third of violence. Um, I think people, people seem to think generally that uh, transness is uh, kind of a, a brave act and that bravery is a thing to be celebrated. And then we're done thinking and talking about trans people. Um, but like Carta and I know so many people that are scrambling for housing and scrambling for food and scrambling for healthcare. Um, and we've like, had to do things like ration out hormones to people so that people can like feel comfortable and stay alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wish that these days became more about um, lifting up why it's specifically hard for uh, trans people to meet their material needs and how we could be doing better societally to do that. Mm. Something that comes up every year, especially around uh, Trans Day of Remembrance is this idea that the media like really likes to focus on the concept of like extreme acts of bigotry and violence against Mm -hmm. trans people, you know, um, mainstream um, queer media really likes to talk about like trans women of color being murdered in the street, you know, Mm -hmm. but I, every year we have this conversation within, you know, certainly my community. and, And I think on a wider level also, that like there needs to be more of an awareness of the ways that violence and um, discrimination happen on like an institutional everyday level. And they're not just perpetrated by like, you know, psycho killers who are like totally separate from the normal population. Um, There's like a rhetoric that gets used um, that suggests that like, oh, there are bad people who don't like transness or trans people and they are violent and dangerous and they are bigoted and they're not like us normal, good Mm. people. 
And so I, I think there's like a lot of shift of focus that needs to happen, especially around when we talk about like remembering those we've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, every trans person who commits suicide is a victim of transphobic violence. Yeah. Every trans person who's denied medical care or every trans woman who's put into a men's prison cell is a victim of transphobic violence just as much as someone who's murdered, you know, in like a transphobic attack is. Yeah. Yeah, really well said. Um, Sorry, go ahead. um, Yeah, I was going to say like these days always kind of focus on on the people we've lost and it is important to like honor those people, but I think a lot of times we forget about the people who are still here and what they Mm -hmm. need. And then when we're talking about the violence, we're not actually talking ever about the root causes of violence. Like Carta said, people think it's like lone actors, but Mm -hmm. um, we're not talking about the conditions that um, push trans women to do survival sex work that puts them in risky conditions in the first place. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so uh, it is important to me that we use these days to talk about big institutional change that needs to happen. I think when we talk about visibility and awareness, it's important for us to talk about like education and in terms of the ways that trans people are different from cis people. Um, Like a really pertinent example is uh, I have a lot of trans friends who are in AA and sort of a core tenant of AA is this idea that um, everybody thinks that they have it, you know, really bad Um, But like your story isn't necessarily going to be any worse than anybody else's and you need to sort of get past that. But what happens to the trans people that I know is they get to AA and they're told by a room of cis people that they're making too big a deal out of their transness and that all alcoholics are the same and they need to get over themselves. And I think that's like a really clear example of like where education and quote unquote visibility could be stepped up because any level of understanding of like the different challenges that a trans person in recovery might face versus a cis person Mm -hmm. um, would go a long way in terms of like actually helping people through some of the most difficult experiences in their life. And I don't see that kind of support. Um, It's not enough just to say like, I don't hate trans people. Yeah, And that seems to be sort of like where a lot of the visibility conversation ends. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I would not kill a trans woman for having a penis, you know, like, and that makes me an ally. And I I think, like, we need to go beyond that to a point where it's like, I actually acknowledge that there are elements of this that I do not understand. Mm -hmm. And that there are struggles that I will not have to face, you know, as a cis person. Mm -hmm. Yes. I wanted to ask y'all about just this was a thought that came up as you as y'all were talking um, about like trans day of visibility. And like, I I am also a cisgender person. Um, I'm queer. So I have a lot more experience with like pride events. But I have noticed in the past some content that comes across, you know, whatever news feed or, or anything like that for like transgender day of visibility is like look at this, you know, whatever, um, this girl boss who's like a transgender woman who's like running, you know, her own business that's making millions of dollars a year. Or like for Transgender Day of Disability, we're going to celebrate like Caitlyn Jenner, um, stuff like that. And I don't know how prevalent that is. I'm obviously not getting as much 
you know, content directed at me for Trans Day of, of Visibility. But, you know, the corporatization of pride has been a real detriment to, like, the queer community sort of writ large and is a symptom of, um, uh, you know, of capitalism. It's a, it's, it's a symptom of a larger problem that is keeping queer people in general, um, it, it, you know, especially working class queer people oppressed. And I'm wondering if, is there, is any of that sort of happening um, with the way that some people approach Trans Day of Visibility? Because you mentioned like that it needs, there needs to be a reorientation um, towards like the struggles that working class trans people experience that isn't just like gruesome, like horrific violence at the hands of like lone wolf perpetrators. Is there also like a, the, the sort of corporate pride type thing happening around Trans Day of Visibility? I don't know about Trans Day of Visibility in specific, but I do see a lot of that. Um, it's usually, mm. I see the same same handful of trans women that get constantly lifted up. Um, mm. You know, your Janet Mocks, your Laverne Coxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're great. Um, they are great people, but also they are like, they're symptomatic of, of a system that allows people to get rich at the expense and because of the exploitation of other people, um, including mm-hmm. trans people. Um, and when when they get lifted up, they're not actually given the power to change things. And they're not actually given a platform where they can say more radical things about like wealth redistribution or about um, how bad the state is being to trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the really, really lovely trans people I know that are super radical and are doing super, super important work would never, ever get lifted up um, mm-hmm. for, for a trans day celebration. Um, so, so I have noticed that and it's, I don't think it's the fault of the trans people that are getting celebrated. Um, Mm. I also like cannot blame them for taking a platform, right? If someone wanted Mm -hmm. to celebrate me and give me a platform, I would, I would probably take it, uh, to varying degrees, depending on what it was, um, because you hear from trans women of color so rarely. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time, it is, it is really frustrating, um, that only, uh, certain kinds of transness are being trans in certain ways kind of unlocks this this opportunity or this potential to be celebrated by cis people. Um, mm. Speaking of platforms, because you brought up Janet Mock, I just wanted to plug that um, I listened to an episode of her podcast where she's interviewing Lena Dunham, and I would recommend it. It's very funny because um, Lena Dunham's like, yeah, like, we're best friends. Janet's one of my best friends. And she's like, not really. This is a work <laughs> relationship. And she's like, Lena, you do a lot of dumb shit. And, like, just starts, like, calling her out for things. Um, That's amazing. So, yeah, it's fun to listen to. <laughs> yeah, like, when we talk about, like, articles um, about Caitlyn Jenner, I, I definitely think that those articles aren't aimed at trans people so much right. as they are at cis people. Right. Like like oh you should feel good about this you know like good work because um caitlin jenner's doing okay so you know like good allyship everybody um (laughs) as far as like what video was talking about like i think it's very obvious who is being given platforms and what they're able to say like I don't think any of the activists i know vidya included are going to be offered like advertising campaigns you know Mm -hmm. like and like when you are offered an advertising campaign when you get to be like a a cover girl or whatever like it effectively curtails your ability to say shit like 
you know, decriminalize all sex work or whatever. Um, because that's not what anybody wants to hear. Like when you look at people with much larger platforms, it tends to be like this much more one-on-one type stuff. Like your Instagram influencers, even people of color just make posts over and over again. They're like, I wore a bikini, you know? Um, And that's okay. Like as Vithya said, I don't begrudge those people, but I also think there's like, a larger problem in terms of like media uplifting a certain type of like glamorous transness. Mm. Right. And then mm. also like through the other side of their mouth, suggesting that like transness is some sort of like upper class luxury or like, you know, unhinged mentally ill tragedy and, you know, like undermining this idea that like there's any sort of like, activist component or like working class component to transness. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating that there's no real room for like nuanced critique of famous trans people or popular trans people. Like um India Moore, Janet Mock, and Laverne Cox are, as far as I know, really great and tend to actually have fairly radical politics mm-hmm. and also have wealth. Um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner is uh, on the one hand kind of the worst and also on the other hand suffers from like a lot of transphobic like mm-hmm. attacks and a lot of transphobic mm-hmm. violence that like I would still defend her from right she is still a trans woman who suffers from that mm-hmm. um, and there's not enough room to kind of like critique how systemic transphobia is is contributing to this problem of of uh, lifting up certain kinds of transness and certain kinds of trans people and certain kinds of things that trans people say um, without yourself sounding uh transphobic or like you don't want trans people to have these platforms Mm, right like i i want trans people to have as much money as possible right like (laughs) yes fuck capitalism and like fuck money but also like if i could give every trans person i know a million dollars i would be very happy yeah right like i'm not going to look at someone like laverne cox and say like fuck you you're just as bad as like any capitalist because it's not true (laughs) it's different Mm -hmm. um but as Vithya was saying there needs to be a middle ground where we can say like okay but like sometimes what you're doing plays into the hands of people who want to like maintain like the capitalist status quo and like plays into the hands of people who want to keep this idea of like, you can only be trans if you look a certain way or act a certain way alive. And like, it's just complicated, you know, like since we're permanently stuck at this sort of like one-on-one level of Mm. talking about transness, it makes nuanced critique very, very difficult. Yeah. um, Listening to you spell all of that out so well, um, it really sounds like the kind of commodification of subversion in some ways. Like, okay, there's these ways that you're, that certain people are allowed to be subversive, but it's like a very narrow lane and you have to be very mindful about not talking about class consciousness or, or other things. Um, And it's sad and horrifying that that happens so much. Um, And then thinking about like kind of where we are now in 2020, 
I'm thinking about how the first Trans Visibility Day was in um, 2009, which, like, to me now feels like many lifetimes ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't even imagine what 2009 was like. But I was wondering <laughs> what kinds of changes uh, have you noticed over time? And I think it kind of dovetails into what you were just uh, explaining so well. And this could be, like, cultural, political, or, you know, whatever. So, I mean... 2009 was literally like a whole extra lifetime ago for me. Um, But uh, a thing I'm noticing is that transness is getting this very specific definition and this very specific like understanding. And that, that definition and understanding is like slowly being more and more allowed to assimilate um, and more and more allowed to like take power uh, over other people and to exploit other people. Um, It's that, you know, girl, girl, boss, woman guard thing. Um, that's happening more and more and more. And I think, uh, something that is happening as a consequence is that it's much harder for like trans radicalism to find space or find room because it, it doesn't seem like we are all unified in the ways that we're oppressed anymore. Right. The more of us that get wealth or the more of us that get jobs or the more of us that get ad campaigns. Um, and so it's, transness as a concept has has i think over time and through history shifted from this like really subversive thing that uh, a handful of people who were really looked down upon by a lot of society uh did um who were radical and who were a family and who did take care of each other to today when like uh transness is um this specific way of being and then if you aren't willing to assimilate and you are trans, you are punished for it. I don't know if we could have this conversation necessarily without talking about the quote unquote transgender tipping point, which was I think 2014, Mm -hmm. I wanna say. Um, Like I came out in 2016. Um, I am 29 years old. So I went to high school in you know, the mid 2000s. Um, I graduated high school in, in 2008 and Same. <laughs> yeah, class of 08, class of 08 uh, <laughs> always in our hearts, except always oh. forgetting forever. <laughs> yeah. Class of 07 got to do that cool James Bond thing in the gearbook, but we, we had nothing. We, you know, um. we, we followed it up by understanding that we would be living in kind of the darkest timeline. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay. Continue. So, like, the biggest shift that I've seen as someone who was not out pre-transgender tipping point um, is just in terms of, like, an awareness and shared language. Um, When I was in high school, I did not know any trans people. I did not know of any trans people beyond, you know, like, in movies. Um, I saw Trans America in high school, and you know, Boys Don't Cry oh, came I also out. I um, Trans America in high school. Yeah, it's not. I don't know if that one holds up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. In hindsight, I remember it being like a pretty weird movie. I guess. <laughs> I, yeah. It, um, don't don't listen to this podcast and race out to your blockbuster <laughs> to rent Trans America. Um, but like. You know, in my high school, I grew up in in the Midwest um, in a college town. And like in my high school, there were like 
a couple out lesbians. There were no out gay boys. I was the closest thing to that, at least in, in like my cohort. And even in college, like there might've been some like sort of furtive trans masks. Um, but I certainly did not know any trans women. Um, and it wasn't until I was out of college that those things started, you know, like that I learned like the word cis that I learned anything about how HRT works or how gatekeeping works or like even sort of like the, the processes that you would need to go through if you wanted to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the big shift that's happened is that those things are now much more public knowledge. Yeah. Um, even though opposition has ramped up in big ways, something I think about a lot is if you are a kid growing up in the rural Midwest and you have conservative talk radio on around you, like I frequently did, you know, in like friends' parents' cars. Um, if those conservative talk radio people are talking about the danger of transness, you're still learning about transness. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I just didn't have that, you know, like yeah. the, yeah. I tell this story all the time, but like, how I remember learning that transness was even a thing was my mother telling me like there are some men who are so gay that they dress up like women to trick other men into having sex with them. Oh my God. And like, that was her, you know, her impression of what transness was. And like, there was nothing around me to counteract that. Like, and I, I do think that's different now. Like, high schools have trans kids in them. Yeah. Like rural high schools have trans kids in them and it's not great for them, but there's still like an awareness of what that means and an ability to talk about it beyond anything that existed a decade ago. Totally. And I mean, I, it's interesting. I like also grew up in a rural town and there are several people from my high school that are now out in trans. And, um, even if there are people from, their life that have been around for a long time that may reject them now they still know someone in their life like I feel like because there's almost this like ripple effect there are more people even in rural spaces that know someone who is trans or um can kind of put those pieces together at least like slightly more yeah um yeah I was on a similar sort of timeline to Carta and I don't think I knew that like transition was something that someone could reasonably do and like feel good and do good in the world and be a good person until maybe like 2014. Um, And then I ended up coming out really, really early in 2016. Mm. Um, And so it is, it is definitely super, super important that like this base level shared understanding exists. Um, I, uh, for a while facilitated a, a local youth group of queer activists, right? And that's not a thing that I could have imagined existing even like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been going really strong. There's lots of tiny trans baby anti-capitalists in it. And like oh. people are able to find each other on the internet. People are able to find uh, like basic understandings of what this is. People are more able to recognize the depression they're feeling as like a dysphoria, right? Like for most of my life, I just wanted to die, but couldn't explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's a like a language for it. Now, if I Google some of the feelings I was having, I would find out more about transness. Um, so yeah, that is also a big important shift. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like as damaging as something like YouTube algorithms can be, I think they're like just the the language around it has changed so much. Like, you know, I think about like the Facebook groups I was part of in the year 2007, um, sort of like groping towards an understanding of like if I was queer or not. Mm. And like those spaces have become so much more refined now. Um like I know a trans kid who's now 18, but I've known him since he was like 12. And he first started exploring his gender feelings by role-playing as a boy on Minecraft servers. You know, he would play as a boy character with his friends. Um, And like those things have only become more common and easier. And I think have also contributed in large part to like a shift in like the self-perception of people who might not be able to put their finger on what they're feeling, but know that there's something there. Just um, to clarify something that y'all said earlier for our listeners, um, you talked about 2014 as the trans tipping point. Um, Can y'all clarify what that means? What happened in 2014? There was a Time Magazine issue Mm -hmm. with a cover of Laverne Cox, I want to say. Um, And the the article advertised on the cover was literally called the transgender tipping point. Mm. Um, It, it like is a pretty like well-known article just because like it made explicit something that had been happening for a little bit, which was like a mainstreaming of certain types of transness and i mean laverne cox's rise to stardom um is like very representative of that mm. um so kind of transitioning back a little bit to what we were talking about about like where some things are maybe falling short um obviously we're in an election year and also obviously who even knows if any elections will continue because we're also in the midst of a global pandemic although the united states is literally so chaotic we probably just will continue to go on with it all in the in the midst of all this but anyway when we think about policy changes or governmental changes related to trans health care and other trans related policies which like you know can obviously have a massive range um what would you like to see passed or what have you seen passed elsewhere that we need here in the united states Um, so a lot of the, like, trans movements now, uh, politically and specifically for policy are focused on anti-discrimination ordinances, Mm -hmm. either on city, state, or federal levels. Um, and, I mean, anti-discrimination is good, right? Like, it's, it's good to be able to say that it is illegal to not let a trans woman, you know, rent a house or, or whatever. Um, and at the same time, only certain trans people can afford to file anti-discrimination lawsuits. Mm. Um, uh, Only certain trans people have the time to be able to get involved in a legal case. Um, Discrimination still happens to all sorts of people who are protected classes, right? And like, they just move on with their day because they still have to put food on the table and can't do a lawsuit. Um, Dean Spade has this really great book uh, called Normal Life that is all about how a lot of trans activism has shifted in this direction away from strictly meeting material needs, right? Like I want trans healthcare, um, both, you know, surgeries um, and, and hormones 
uh, to be way more accessible and I want it to be free for people. Um, I want trans people to be guaranteed universal housing the same way I want everyone to be guaranteed mm-hmm. universal housing. Um, I want to see uh, a lot a lot more focus on material shifts for people, um, whether that's done through policy or done through mutual aid work, um, than strictly just uh, naming that it's it's illegal to discriminate against trans people and then not actually giving trans people any kind of positive rights after that. Yeah, basically what Vithya said, like, we need universal health care. And as part of universal health care, there needs to be like robust um, protections and and um, services available to trans people. Um, because right now, you know, many surgeries or hormone replacement therapies or just getting therapy or getting laser hair removal or anything is considered elective. Mm. And it really fits into this idea of like transness is a luxury, um, which it is not. Um, and just like Vithya said, like we need um, guaranteed universal housing. We need some sort of universal basic income. Um it's difficult to talk about like things that I want for trans people when we also live in a world with billionaires, like it feels so completely drastically fucked, um, Mm -hmm. on not just a trans level, but just like a societal level, um, that there are people right now who could put an end to a global pandemic and don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think also when we talk about um, sort of like legislative hopes for trans people, we need to talk about protections for sex workers Mm -hmm. um, because trans people are disproportionately sex workers, Mm -hmm. um, which is like, you know, for any marginalized group, it's like one of the only avenues of work available frequently. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also like, since we are dealing with like fetishizing media, it's like a reliable way for trans people to make money. Yeah. Um, and I say this as a woman who just created an OnlyFans page. Like, yes. um, like, so it's, it's something that also needs to be addressed is, is like better protections for people who are doing sex work in general. Right. And then also for trans sex workers. Um, SESTA-FOSTA needs to be repealed. Like, um, yeah. And again, these are things that like affect much broader populations than just trans people, but trans people are people and like being intersectional demands that like we acknowledge that like transness on its own is like not a core identity. It's an aspect of people's lives. And like, there needs to be like broad protections to address all of these injustices, not just the ones pertaining to transness. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I heard Zoe Tamuti say a long time ago um, was that uh, public health research, um, when they're doing something, for example, like looking at AIDS outcomes for queer populations, are all about like um, how we, you know, educate people about prep and like distribute uh, um, healthcare. Uh, and it's never about guaranteeing sex workers housing, which would mm. drastically improve uh, AIDS outcomes for queers, right? Because then they can be more discriminatory about uh, who their clientele is, what their safe sex practices are, and things like that. Um, and and people are always looking for complicated, specific solutions when like mm-hmm. 
really the the answer is just like house us and feed us and take care of us and take care of our health and and that's all we need to do even on like a simple level like prep should be free if prep were free and like easily available to everyone there would be a significant reduction in preventable deaths of trans people because trans people are disproportionately affected by HIV. Mm. Um, So unfortunately there aren't like targeted specific things that we can say that will like fix things for trans people right now beyond like things that like we should already have anyway for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask, because you, in the beginning, both were talking about some of the organizing work that you do. Um, So in your opinions, what do you think that feminists and leftist spaces could do in order to be more inclusive for trans people? Mm -hmm. Or is that something that you've dealt? I mean, I'm sure that's something that you've dealt with. Like, what does that look like for you? Sure. I mean, like, I'm like the only in my DSA chapter of like 300 people, um, I think there's like two, maybe three active members who are trans. Um, I think a lot of it is uh, when a lot of people try and make a space trans inclusive, they try and like focus on transness to make it inclusive. Mm-hmm. And they start doing things like pronoun circle introductions um, and, uh, you know, making sure that they ask people what their pronouns are. Um, and it's not that hard or that complicated to actually like be an ally or whatever right like all allyhood is is uh caring about a certain group of people uh in the way that you would care about your family or friends in the way that you would care for your own right and so like i don't actually need everyone in the world to get my pronouns right i just need there to be space for me to correct them and for them to respond the way they would if they heard a friend mm-hmm. um and so when people are focusing on trans inclusion they're not actually focusing on treating trans people like they're friends they're actually sometimes doing uh even occasionally alienating practices um, to try and focus on transness as this as this uh, special, unique thing that that requires um, special practices for trans people, uh, and then they kind of miss the forest for the trees and don't just take care of trans people. Um, so, you know, what leftists could be doing is actually making sure that trans people are cared for in their spaces. Um, make sure that there's space for trans people to. Uh, voice their needs, make sure that you're taking on trans people's needs as your own needs and you're fighting for them together and you're sharing the weight of your burdens. Um, Make sure that there's space to address harm when it's caused in a way that feels good to uh, everyone involved. Um, Make sure that material needs are being met, right? Like do more mutual aid projects to take care of uh, marginalized communities and invariably marginalized communities will come be part of your spaces more because you care for them. Um, I think think it really needs to be more of a a shift in philosophy about what like allyhood is um, to just kind of focus on care more than it needs to be the adoption of any sort of specific practice. Uh, On the subject of addressing harm, I think one of the things that really damages the queer community, and and if we're talking about feminist spaces, we're talking about queer spaces, I think, um, is this kind of pervasive idea that like we must find and root out the bad people in our community um, and make sure that they can no longer hurt anyone else before we can even begin to address larger societal problems. Um, Or like to put it more simply, there's like a pervasive idea that like the most dangerous thing to queer people is like other but bad queer people. And 
I think that that is something that needs to be dealt with on a community level and largely discarded. Um, what I have found organizing in trans spaces, and I think that I can attest to this, and I imagine what your experiences have been in like larger queer spaces also, is that everybody is traumatized. Everybody is coming from a place of pain. Everybody like had bad experiences um, in their childhoods or has had bad experiences with a partner. And it is unreasonable and unproductive to hold people to a standard where if they do something bad, like legitimately bad, their only choice is to self ostracize mm. forever. Um, I think that that really, really, really damages um, community spaces. And it also damages um, like trans people's inclusion in those spaces because trans people are going to fuck up um, inevitably, just like everybody else. Right. And there's just a lot of scary, dangerous things that can happen when community conflict is approached from a place of like irreconcilable bad faith, you know? Um, I think our communities need to be able to address pain and harm in ways that look different than the kind of like tribunal and like um, banishment systems that we've been seeing a lot of. Um, and it's something that's come up a lot in our spaces. Like if you have a whole bunch of trans people in a room, like half of them are going to have at one point dated each other or fucked each other um, or feel uncomfortable with each other. And there need to be ways for us to like hold community space um, without it turning into some sort of like factionalized nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something Carter and I both focus on in our community a lot is like conflict mediation um, and doing the actual hard work of working on ourselves and, and motivating other people to work on themselves because we all have work to do. We all cause harm. Um, every human being is redeemable. And if you believe that every human being is redeemable, you also have to believe that about the human beings that are around you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's super important that we come up with some other like perspective on conflict, on, on harm and on healing. Um, because frankly, trans people die in isolation, right? And trans people also continuously exile each other without thinking about that, I guess. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of frustration with the ways that spaces deal with harm. Um, there's a lot of frustration with the ways that spaces deal with people having a past. Um, a lot of trans people have done like uncomfortable things in the past because you know when you're sad and depressed and don't see a future you do things like join the military or become a fortuner or whatever yeah. um and and there are incidents i've seen where people have been like exiled from activist spaces that they wanted to work in because they happen to have a past mm. um and and their potential for growth i guess wasn't wasn't recognized um so yeah i mean this could be an entire another podcast about transformative justice but uh, it is super important that spaces find more radical ways of treating each other uh, with caring frameworks uh, in order to actually be inclusive. To bring it back around to like including trans people specifically, like what that means is being willing to like be flexible in times of conflict um, and not 
I, I think the more hostile a community space is to people who do something bad, um, the more hostile it's going to be to trans people because trans people even more than like your usual queer fuck ups are learning how to be people again, like in ways that are difficult and scary. And like, I don't know, I don't want to sound too reductive, but like when you are literally going through like a completely novel hormonal puberty in your adulthood and you're being treated in the way you want to be treated for the first time. And you have to deal with like people not getting your pronouns right. Or like people not seeing you exactly as you want to be seen. It's like very complicated and very frustrating. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of potential for fucking up socially. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like very, very important that spaces are, welcoming and understanding just like they would be of anybody who was like a baby queer entering the space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, People joke all the time about like second puberty, which it kind of is, right? We had the one puberty and now we're having a second puberty and people say that joke in the context of hormones, but like, it's absolutely true that, you know, between 2016 and 2017, I had to figure out like what goals I had in life, what relationships meant to me, how I wanted to like be treated and treat other people, how friendships looked and worked. And like, figure out all of these things about myself that cis people have had, you know, an extra couple of decades to figure out because, you know, when you're not debilitatingly depressed your entire life, you you actually work on answering these questions and work on growing. Um, and it's really, really important that trans people be given the space to do that. That makes total sense. Um, we're coming up on about an hour now. So I just wanted to ask y'all if there were any final thoughts you'd um, like to, yeah, end on Um, I think it's important to give trans people your money and it's important to start doing mutual aid and start caring for your neighbors as if, you know, they were your people. Um, because I think that's the only way that like we kind of move forward. Um, and we can't just be focused on, you know, big legislative anti-discrimination policy or be focused on three famous trans people. We have to like actually care for our people as if there are people, um, to that end, uh, Carter and I have started uh, a GoFundMe where we just raise money and we just give it away to trans people. Um, and that's something that we can give you a link for. Yeah, um, yeah. please do. We'll, we'll include put it that. in our description. Yeah, but like projects like that, um, I think are super important. And, and really, I just want to emphasize that like caring for trans people is as simple as treating their issues like your issues and is as simple as giving them space to voice their harm and is as simple as, you know, treating them like your friends and family. Yeah, I don't know if I can say that any better than than Vithya. <laughs> like giving trans people your money. Um, Vithya and my project is called uh, MTAP, the Michigan Trans Assistance Project. Um, and we specifically give money to people in our county right now because that's sort of like where we're able to um, cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the hope of eventually like expanding or having similar projects expand out. Um, Trans Lifeline is a very important thing to support. Um, Trans Lifeline does a lot of really good work with their microgrants program. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of places that you can send your money. Um, OnlyFans.com slash Cardamoneer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Send, send us money. the link. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming on. This was like such a such a pleasure. Um, and yeah, people who are listening, check out the links that we've got right now in the uh, about section of this episode. Um, the about. And yeah, yeah. The about <laughs> what you you know, technology, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, Carta and Vidya, thank you so much for joining us. Ugh, y'all are so smart. I'm I'm feeling like my brain was just massaged for an hour. So thank you. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so thank much you for, for having, having us. Yeah. I love getting to do this. Okay, well, that was awesome. Happy Transvisibility Day to everyone. Is this, is this coming out on? Trans Day of Visibility. March, yes, March March 31st. Um, so it'll come out a little before. Yeah. It'll okay. come out just in time. Perfect. Just in the nick of time. Well, um, give trans people your money, but when you're done doing that, if you have any money to spare, you can give it to us on patreon.com slash season of the bee. Um or season of the bitch. Well, season you'll of find the it. bitch. It's fine. <laughs> season of the bitch. <laughs> Patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Yes. Yep. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at season of the bee. We're also on Facebook. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can email us at season of the bee at gmail.com. Um, our guest today had reached out to us about doing this episode. So if you have an episode idea that you think is a good idea, we might be inclined to agree with you. Um, so let us know. And is that everything? Yep. <laughs> Love you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Season of the Bitch.